$5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code SAVE to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wiley, and you're listening to Sex Stories, a podcast where we share our very sexy details in an effort to help everyone all around the world lead better laid lives. And my guest today, I am very excited to introduce to you, is Kamali. Welcome. Thank you. Will you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Okay. Kamali, originally from Brooklyn, New York, but I guess I've been to Los Angelino for long enough now to claim it. Okay. How long? <clears throat> oh, gosh, like 18 years. Okay. Yeah. I just hit 12. Yeah, it it goes by quick after a while. (laughs) Let's see. So I am a love and intimacy educator. I work with tantric and Taoist practices. I tell people that the basis of the work I do is to help restore connection where it's gone missing. So like in people's bodies, in their relationships, healing places where there's been separation and disconnect so that they can feel more pleasure and Mm -hmm. access more intimacy and be able to create love on purpose. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I want to hear all the details about how you got there. (laughs) Will you tell us a little bit about your personal self? Sure. Okay. So I I mentioned I grew up in Brooklyn (laughs) and I had kind of an interesting background. Like I grew up in a Caribbean neighborhood, like a lot of different socioeconomic, you know, exposure. And, and, but then I was going to an international school in the city. So there was a lot of like kids were diplomats and ambassadors, children from around the world. And so I had the gift of like being exposed to a lot of difference very early on. And then my parents are very interesting. My mom's very alternative kind of health nut, very into health and nutrition okay. and alternative medicine and different things. My dad's a lawyer, entertainment attorney, and I was kind of an activist in college. And their pairing was was interesting because I grew up in a very alternative household. Mm. So like emphasis a lot on education, but also on like asking questions and looking beyond the system, the mainstream system and all these different things. Yeah, laid a pretty interesting foundation and landed at first in college going to film school. Mm. (laughs) And I actually spent about 15, 16 years in entertainment after I graduated writing, directing, editing, and acting. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that was an awesome adventure all unto itself. And of course, like so many people, you know, life happens. And my parents got divorced, and it kind of like led my family through this big split, which led me down this huge rabbit hole of exploring relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, my own, you know, about our familial connections, but also just in general, like, what are we doing in a relationship? Like, why do we sign up for all this pain? Like, <laughs> so do you have all of the answers now? <laughs> I Can you wish. Tell me. I have some of them. Okay. I have many more than when I first began. 
And so, yes, just answered a lot. I went through, I call it like the moment where I had my dark night of the soul, where everything falls away and you're questioning everything and you have to like rebirth yourself. Yeah. You know, so part of my rebirthing was really understanding how I work and how to bring more of who I really am into my relating. So that led me down so many different rabbit holes. When did like, that happen? Can I ask? Yeah, this was, what was this, like 2010, okay. I want to say. So it, it, I want to say it started around 2008. The peak of it was around 2010. So by, by 2010, I had already done some therapy and I landed in like the, like the crux of what became the foundation, mm-hmm. which is I went through all of Landmark's beginner programs, mm-hmm. the first three and had a bunch of epiphanies and openings in that. And then I was doing, I discovered Tantra, and I started going down that rebel. How did you discover it? Oh, my goodness. So I was at a sex trade show called, at the time, it was Love LA. Um, they might have rebranded. There are sex trade shows? Yeah. How do I not know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you should to, definitely to go to reads. one. I need to really. Yeah. I learn everything just by talking to people, and it's terrible because people assume that I'm an expert, and I'm like, no, I just I just learn from talking to people yeah. because I'm doing, like, eight other things. Yeah. It's, of course. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I don't know that I would have known except for somehow it popped on my radar, okay. and at the time, I was definitely, I was in a relationship I'd been in for about six, six years at the time, five, six years. And we had been looking to, like, you know, heal some things in our Mm -hmm. sexuality. Like, we just had completely different approaches to sex. And we loved each other a lot, but we really wanted to work some things out in that area. And so this was, like, my whole, like, let's go to this sex trade show and, like, get some ideas. And, like, a lot of people, I was, like, we need to spice up our life. Or, like, we need to figure out, like, how we can connect this way. And I was thinking, you know, maybe it's trying different types of, th- like, classes or, mm-hmm. like, like, maybe we try, need to try BDSM or, like, you know, get a new toy or a swing or something, you know. Yeah. But then while I was at this show, I heard my first Tantra teacher speak, this woman by the name of Charu Morgan, who runs Embody Tantra. And uh, she started talking about the possibility of sexuality coexisting with spirituality and how they weren't separate. Um, and how really to to go into the deeper layers of our sexuality, we had to confront parts of ourselves. And just whatever was coming out of her mouth was just like, no one's ever talked like this about sex. This is exactly what I've been looking for. So I started studying with her pretty intensely for two years. And it changed everything. Yeah. Like that combined with some of the other things I was doing completely put me in touch with parts of myself I didn't know existed. And it changed that relationship, which got better until it got to the point where it's like, you know what? We're not a good fit. Mm. And we ended up ending it actually after eight years. But that whole period in my life really led me down the path where I am now. It led to me eventually teaching this work and, you know, landing in a relationship that's a really good fit for me and all these other pieces that have shifted along the way. Wow. Okay. I am yeah. so excited for to dive in after that little overview. Yeah. Let's start by, can you tell our listeners your gender identity, pronouns, and sexual identity? I consider myself female. Mm -hmm. Pronouns, she, her, uh, sexual identity. I consider myself sexually fluid. Mm -hmm. I would seem hetero from all, but in terms of attraction, I'm sexually fluid. Mm -hmm. What was the other part of that question? I don't know. I think that's, oh, do you have any kinks you want to talk about? Oh, kinks. I like choking. Mm Yeah. Great. Okay. We're going to get into details. Do you remember the first time you heard about sex? Like mm. the first time it entered your awareness? 
Yeah, it's funny because this is a question I ask of a lot of my students mm -hmm. where I have, we go through their sexual history. And so I've told this story a lot. <laughs> but um, yeah, for me, my first memory of anything sexual was really, really young. Like my mom actually called me a hot tail because... <laughs> I've never heard that term yeah, before. That was her nickname for me, hot tail. Because I was really into like touching, mm -hmm. touching. And I, I was very sexual from a very young age, just in terms of like, I liked to rub myself against mm -hmm. things. I liked to hug and touch people. I liked to kiss on people. This is very affectionate. And, you know, as a kid, I didn't know what any of that was. Yeah. I just knew it felt good. And, and so my earliest memory, I had a, a boyfriend when I was about two years old who was the son of my mom's best friend. Uh -huh. And we used to, like, be put in the bathtub together and take baths mm -hmm. together. And I don't know where we even got the idea, like, how we knew that you could put a penis inside a vagina. But he would call it his car, and my vagina was the garage. And he was like, Let, you know, we would talk about playing put the car in the garage. You know, and these are two little kids who I can, I almost remember, like, I don't think anything could stay in there, but <laughs> we oh were still mimicking this. Wow. Yeah, this this play together. And then we would sleep together and cuddle. And, you know, I remember, like, like rubbing on each other and, like, feeling good and different things. I just, my, my memory of all of it, though, is that, like, I had this, like, if I could describe it, it was almost like a volcano, like this, like, really pulsing passion inside of me that always wanted to erupt. I was like always looking for an outlet for it to like be let free. <laughs> Were you conscious of that from a younger age? Or like I, when you started to contextualize it? Yeah, I mean, not really. I think by the time I started progressing um, and it became, it would always be like looking for friends I could play with or, you know, different things I could do with myself. And I don't know that I understood that it was, that I was doing anything that was like different than anyone else did or or any of those types of things. But I did, some part of me knew that it was like wrong. There was some shame attached to it. Mm. I think we actually got caught once by our parents. And I, I do remember like the, just the frenzied energy of like, what's happening? You know, like, you yeah, know, stop yeah. that, that, stop that. Do you remember how old you were? Probably three. Okay. Yeah. And so like, the way I worked as a child is every time I got caught doing something that made my, my mom upset, it was always my mom mm. upset, I would just hide it better. So, <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I did. I would hide it better, but there was still always this, like, parallel shame that would show up with the pleasure. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it kind of progressed down the line, I think, to the point where it was just, like, you know, little makeouts with girlfriends and – Play, role playing and <laughs> all kinds of fun stuff. And I do remember like actually I, some part of me always liked to be the dominant one, mm -hmm. which is still true in my relationship mm. to this day. It's weird. Like I'll complain sometimes about having to be the initiator in yeah. my relationship. But from a very young age, I was always the initiator. Like I was the one like grabbing or like suggesting or like. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. I want to actually just grab onto that for a second. Totally. So you are currently married yeah. and do you still initiate with your husband? Like on a, yeah. Totally. Okay. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> what about in situations before you were married or partnered mm -hmm. when you're searching for partnership, were you always like, would you ask people out? Yeah, that's, a, I mean, that's a good question. You know, I think 
I never, it was weird. Like I would be very forward in my flirtation. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I wouldn't normally ask people out. I think maybe once or twice I propositioned somebody. Like if it was just about hooking up, I would. Yeah. But something about like asking someone on a date or I I always wanted that to come my way. Well, I was speaking with a friend recently who was sort of making the point that I, YO, am so in charge of so many things that I need to get someone who will ask me out, someone who will take initiative, someone who will kind of provide a balance of that masculine and I mean like divine masculine Mm -hmm. like the forward outward energy yeah not just the boy girl thing because like I I would love to be dominated by a woman you know so I'm so curious about that in this particular moment because I'm like well can I yeah can I be can I be both can I where is the duality there so yeah I feel like you probably have a lot to say about that yeah I mean I think totally because it's it's fascinating in that in the the context of someone with relationship. Well, I know for me, in my background, I had a big insecurity issue about being desirable. Mm. Do you remember where that came from? Probably very early on. Like my mom had a thing about not, she really did not want us to be vested in our beauty. So she would never talk about us being beautiful. Other mm-hmm. people would call us cute and mm-hmm. different things, but she would always emphasize it's not about your beauty. It's not about your beauty, which was great in some ways. I feel very liberated from that, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think that I knew that I was beautiful. And then And there was a lot of my early crushes. I would always fall for these guys that wanted to be with my best friends. Really? (laughs) So I was the girl that every guy wanted to be friends with, but then they wanted to like hook up with my other friends, you know? Whoa. Yeah. So that, that, that quick, like early on gave me this message that, you know, I wasn't attractive to like, I guess, guys in that kind of way. With girls, it was always a different story because it was like we would be friendly with each other and, you know, that might turn into something. But with guys, I was like, oh, I don't have that thing. I don't Mm. have that it thing, you know. So it was really important to me later on that guys let me know that they were into me in that way and that I could receive, like I could could have that assurance or reassurance in order to open up in that way. But if I was being in my... I don't know. There's a whole different energy, I guess, when I step into my sexual energy. If I'm being sexually playful, I don't really care in the same way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. So it's it, that was like a, a different way that I was comfortable bringing that. But I did find that it helped a lot because usually if I waited to be approached in a relationship context, like from that interest, then the person's energy was more committed mm. to like pursuing and like, you know, yeah. Yeah. All the pieces I needed to feel more comfortable opening up. Ugh. Okay, so many good insights. <laughs> I, if you feel comfortable sharing, I would yeah. love to know what else you go through in sexual histories. Yeah. Because this is something that I'm, re- when yeah. you said that, I was like, oh, I guess I kind of do that, but just really haphazardly. Yeah, no, it's great. It's a good question to ask because, I mean, one of the things, the reason why I do it is a practice. It's part of the tantric practices that I was taught, actually. And a lot of it is about reflecting, just having the ability to consciously reflect on our sexual experiences throughout life from the very first memory through each significant sexual encounter until present day. Yeah. Because a lot of times they happen sort of happen circumstance. Yeah. They're sort of sketchy in our memories about what happened and why. And a lot of times we'll bypass things that happened because they were painful or traumatic in different ways. And and then that still lives in our bodies somewhere, but it's not being brought to the awareness to mm-hmm. be healed. Mm-hmm. 
So when I work with people, we'll literally just do that. We'll go back like you did to the earliest memory of something sexual or pleasurable. And then we'll step through each significant memory and we'll look at specifically, what did you learn about yourself sexually from that experience? What did you learn about the person you were in, you know, having sex with? Did you learn anything about you know, other people sexually from that experience? And what, what, if any, belief did that experience create around sexuality? And just kind of like unpacking it like that, we can sort of piece together a map of mm -hmm. how we formed sexually because each of us is so unique and we've been shaped by the, the, the cumulative experiences of yeah. our life, right? Yeah. So it's really nice to kind of put that picture together and go like, oh, wow, like so this particular like, you know, shyness or this particular fetish actually goes back to this memory, <laughs> like, wow. you know. Yeah. And, and, and it, yeah. you guide people through that process mm -hmm. when the work that you do together? Yeah. I'm curious to know how often, or if this is a thing you've encountered, where someone is familiar with their sexual story in the context of how society might tell that story versus what's true for them. Yeah. And I guess I'm speaking from a place of like my own personal self. I always was like, oh, I don't want to be the main woman. I love all of these different people. And finally I was like, wait, that's an option. Like that's a possibility. Whereas the messages I was previously getting is like, oh, you have commitment issues and, and mm -hmm. you know, and there's still maybe truth in that as well. Yeah. yeah. So how do you kind of navigate that with people? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's a, it's a big part of actually the work I'm doing with people is to start to tease apart what are all the cultural assumptions and beliefs that were created about yeah. who you are sexually from what are the natural organic impulses, instincts, desires, fears that are there for you without having to label them or pathologize them yeah. or any of those things. Just like if we could just have a conversation about like what arises, what I find is that like there is no such thing as normal sexuality, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like as diverse as the human spectrum is, is as diverse as our yeah. sexuality yeah. is, yeah. right? So it's important to be able to kind of, I think, at some point just to be able to have that deep awareness about, and not just awareness, but like acceptance, mm -hmm. you know, of like, yeah, I have a problem with this thing, you know, or I have this particular fear, but, you know, at the same time, I, I think actually like it's just been a way I've protected myself, mm. you know, and I protected myself because of these reasons, yeah. you know? And so when we start to have compassion and like kind of understanding for some of these parts of ourselves and where they came from and why, I think it removes a lot of that stigma or some of those cultural stories that get mapped over things. Because mm -hmm. mostly we just want to understand who we are, why yeah. we're that way, why other people work the way they work, you know? And then how do yes. we relate from those yes. places? Do you work with people and their partners or are you able to work with people solo? I imagine that work would be really difficult if, see, I'm doing it. So asking so many questions. No, it's fine. Like, it's still kind of in the same question. <laughs> it is, it is. Uh, and like, but I imagine that work would be really difficult if someone was doing the work on themselves and their partner wasn't on board or wasn't into it or wasn't willing to look at the same things. Is that something you encounter? Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating because I say I work probably equal parts with I work a lot with women, mm -hmm. but I also work with couples. Mm -hmm. 
And I would say of the women I work with one-on-one, probably, you know, half of them are in relationship and half of them aren't. I don't know the exact numbers, but something like that. And it's one of the surprises for a lot of people that you can do this kind of work on your own. And I actually recommend doing it on your own before Mm -hmm. doing Mm -hmm. it in partnership Mm -hmm. because partnership is so complicated. So it's like (laughs) when I'm working with one person, like we are working with everything, all the, like your relationship to you. Yeah. And we get to go in deep and dissect all those different things. And the experiences that we're going to have in session are specifically about your system. When I work with couples, we have to go into each person's relationship with their own body. And then the third relationship of the dynamic that creates between their two bodies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it's just, it takes a lot more focus and time. And we're usually... Most couples I'm working with, when they're dealing with different intimacy issues or things happening, the underlying root is always something like emotional or, you know, couched basically in some kind of trauma, some kind of emotional suppression, repression, just something unresolved. So <laughs> for a us lot. to, like, yeah, it's for, for us to like kind of like, we can't just like be like, okay, touch this differently, right. stroke this <laughs> like that, and now <laughs> everything's better. <laughs> we kind of have to get under the hood about mm-hmm. like, why is each partner playing the role that they're playing in the relationship? And what are the unmet needs happening here? And how do we start to shift some of those pieces? Oh. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask more about the work you're doing. I also want to ask more about your personal experiences. Yeah. Which direction do you want to go first? Let's do the work first. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of people have different ideas about what Tantra means. Yes. Will you talk a little bit about what it means to you and your experience and engagement with Tantra? Yeah. I love that you said what it means to me. I appreciate that because Tantra is a huge universe <laughs> and it's going to get talked about and represented in a lot of different ways depending on who you're talking to. And all of them have different benefits. So for me, Tantra is a path of spirituality. It's a path of meditation, really. And I my first teacher, she would always say, it's all about sex and it's nothing about sex. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, that's life. The, like, I feel like that is everything. Right? That's yeah. how I feel. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I, you just gave me words to yes. live by. Exactly. It's yes. all about sex and it's nothing about sex. Because the truth is like the, the baseline of Tantra is it provides a beautiful outline, really understanding of how creation works. And the baseline of how creation works is sex. You know, like we have to talk about the opposing opposites that come together to create something new. And whether you call that the masculine and the feminine or the solar and the lunar or like all these different energies in in the tantric path, it's often referred to as Shakti and Shiva. Mm -hmm. So Shiva representing the masculine, Shakti representing the feminine. And unlike the way we talk about masculine and feminine culturally, from the tantric perspective, Shakti, the female energy, is actually the dynamic power. Mm-hmm. It's the power that creates life, like the, that like brings everything into form. It's it's everything that's moving and constantly changing the cycles, the seasons, yeah. like all. So this is her play that we're in. Like as we are in form, we are in the world of Shakti. <laughs> and and so Shiva, it, the masculine consciousness, is really that inert energy that everything arises from, the void, the structure mm. that the form grows from. 
And and the, it's their love affair. And what I love is it's very poetic. Yeah. It's the love affair, the love making between Shakti and Shiva that produces the bliss that is our existence. Mm. Yeah. So when we talk about you know bliss or ecstasy and how tantra can be a path to awakened states of consciousness, what we're really talking about is beginning to strip away all the veils of our human self that block us from touching the pure essence of mm -hmm. our of what we were made of, that conscious energy that we're made of, which according to them is is that bliss state of the lovemaking of yeah. Shiva and Shakti. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like why Tantra is one of the few paths that you'll see. There was, you know, a whole movement that came to the West that was popularized by Osho. Osho took a, a lot of the Tantric philosophy and created his own system, bringing in um, psychological Western practices and some somatic work to really start to unpack like some specific ailments that mm -hmm. came from what I will call, you know, the post-colonial world. <laughs> so it's like, Osho's like, okay, Westerners are dealing in it. And I don't think we can even call it West and East anymore because of how global everything right. has become, right? So yeah. really we're talking about like the affect of colonialism and like all the things that have kind of like perpetuated from that. And the effect it has on our psychology yeah. and hence on our bodies and the way we form our lives. So Neo-Tantra is what most people know here in the States. And that was what was popularized by Osho. Mm -hmm. And it has a specific emphasis on sexuality mm -hmm. and psychology and unpacking those layers as a way to free up that life force energy that is at the root of your sexual energy, that raw power. And Prior to Neo-Tantra is what we would call classical Tantra, which is a lot of different lineages that go back thousands of years, roots being in India. And so I have both practices, like I'm a, both a classical Tantrika and practice in the Srividya lineage. And then I'm also practice Neo-Tantra, which is how I first What is that Tantra. like? I don't think I've ever met a person that, that <laughs> yeah. held all of that in one place. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know if I've ever considered it. <laughs> um, it's, it's, I feel really grateful to hold mm. both. Because what I'll tell you is that like Neo-Tantra was the gateway that made Tantra accessible for me. I don't mm. think in the beginning I could have sat down for an hour-long meditation right. practice and chanted a bunch of Sanskrit and done all these rituals right. and really had a connection to it. Right, to be able to derive meaning from right. it for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. It just was too big a, a leap from how I've been you know, formed in mm -hmm. this life up until mm -hmm. a certain point. And so Neo-Tantra was like accessible. It was about moving my body. It was fun. It was like connecting with people. It was like, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it's, it's very practical. <laughs> it's very practical and easy to access. And so I had a lot of big openings from that path initially. And um, yeah, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like I still, it's why I teach it because I think it's very potent for the way we're wired. Yeah. And then at some point, all those openings kind of like leveled out. They kind of flatlined. And I was like, well, I'm not getting high on, you know, mm. my like awakenings anymore. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on? And what happens is once we liberate those larger amounts of energy in the body mm -hmm. and we integrate them, it becomes a new baseline. It becomes a new normal. So I had reached like a new normal with all that I had sort of freed up and opened. Mm. And I knew to keep going deeper, it was going to have to look different. And that's like I had been sort of dabbling in classical Tantra through a movement practice uh, called the Tantric Dance of Feminine Power. 
um, which was created by Bachar Ma. Yeah, yes. It's it's a very profound methodology path. So it was created by a woman, Vajra Ma, who then basically trained a, few, a handful of priestesses to teach it. One of them be, has become my classical tantra teacher, Nita Rubio. And so that's how I first started working with her in this. And it was still a movement practice, but it was very deep. It started to bring in Shakti in the form of specific deities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, I'll, I'll just name the one that most people know because she's so popular today is Kali, mm-hmm. like as a form, you know, like Saraswati and like... People have some familiarity with the different forms of often from the Hindu world, these different, you know, tantric deities. But in this particular dance, we were working with how to contact the energies of those forms of consciousness through our bodies, through the portal of the womb. So that was like my entrance to just like a little bit of like, you know, heading in that direction. And then Nita, my teacher of that dance, uh, continued her own deep study with her guru and is pretty much just like she's amazing right now in terms of what she's holding and wisdom and knowledge. And she's been approved to teach like traditional tantric sadhanas that are not widely available. So that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's now my path. And what I've kind of felt is so different from all of that is unpacking what I call those hard to reach aspects of, you could call it the ego, but deeper than that, it's like the subtle body. So it's like we have, you know, the gross body with the emotions and like the sensations and all these different things. And we have the way the brain fires and the nervous system and all that. That's like what we're working a lot through the neotantric practices. And then there comes a point where we, we get into the realm of the subtle body anatomy, the chakras and what's being held in your, like the samskaras and all these different habitual patterns that have been held. What is a samskara? Yes, thank you for asking. So samskara is a Sanskrit word for like a groove. You could think of it kind of like when they talk about those neurological pathways that get fired over and over yes. and over again and yes. creates like a groove. Yeah. It's sim- that's pretty much like what a samskara is. So it's They like- say that after, they say, I read a report somewhere years yeah. ago that after 25 they kind of start to shut down. Like it's more work to create new ones. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and and so we'll keep firing those same neural pathways. And those neural pathways are mirrored in our energy bodies. So a lot of the Hindu and tantric philosophies, even in the Chinese systems, they get into the deep, you know, energy Mm -hmm. body Mm -hmm. anatomy, Mm -hmm. which mirrors a lot of our physical anatomy, but it's different. And in that energy anatomy, we're holding those same grooves or patterns You could talk about things that may have been repeating, if you believe in multiple lives, for multiple lifetimes, you know, or things that have just become so habituated that you were born into in this lifetime. So that the the work I found with the classical Tantra starts to repattern those grooves, like those really deeper, hard to reach, like I can't do this through therapy, I can't do this through somatic work, like, yeah, kind of grooves, so that you start to have access to, you know, I guess you could call it like cleaning up your karmas, you know? (laughs) Can you give our listeners a specific example of just like the type of thing someone might want to heal that isn't being healed through therapy or other methods? Yeah. So one of the things that I've, it's been a lifelong pattern in my nervous system is being overwhelmed. So being easily overwhelmed by life, (laughs) you know, by environments, by people with big energy, by I'm just a sensitive person that way, 
right? Pisces, sun, cancer, moon. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's deeply sensitive. Yes, exactly. So, um, but in addition to that, like, I, for me, the overwhelm went beyond just being sensitive because I've definitely built more capacity through all the work that I've done to be able to be with lots of different types of energies and create healthy boundaries and practices to help clear that energy and all that stuff. But there's a part of my system that like would still like hook on to creating the overwhelm in some kind of way, like like just working myself into that space of like, I don't, I'm not safe here, I don't have control here, I'm out mm-hmm. of control, like whatever that those pieces are. And it was beyond being able to like self-talk myself out of it or like, you know, deep breathe myself out of right. it, and those kinds of things. And so through this work, like, you know, it, it's funny because the work itself, things don't liberate in the moment of the practice. So my practice often looks like sitting down and doing mantra, you know, for like an hour, half an hour to an hour or doing rituals with pujas and different things. And I'm what I'm doing is basically awakening the consciousness of a specific energy deity which has certain qualities that they oversee or run in this world. I'm awakening those energies in my own body. And I was working with a specific practice to heal some things around heart stuff, I think it was. And I was confronted with those specific patterns of overwhelm. I got stuck on a plane on a tarmac with no air conditioning on those tiny commuter planes. <laughs> and it was like the temperature was raising. And my, like, claustrophobia, like, overwhelmed by the environment, can't get out of here, started. Because I started to feel everyone's energy in the plane start to ratchet up. And then my own feelings of, like, feeling trapped. And I was doing all this stuff to, like, you know, like, I was doing my mantra. I was, like, I got up and went to the back of the plane to get some water and all these different pieces. But what was fascinating is that I thought I was going to tip into a panic attack. And I was able to watch the energy and watch my mind enough that I didn't go into a panic attack. I actually managed to have contact, have a conversation with the person sitting next to me eventually that sort of like brought everything down until we got back to the gate. Yeah. But it was what I found myself was I ended up getting put in several situations like that, including being stuck in like a New York City train, like during the power outage there over the summer. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Yeah. It was like similar experiences, like like some of my worst nightmares, yeah. you know. And what it, what I was being shown though was the the capacity in my system that had cultivated from the practice to start to be with these situations a little differently. So it wasn't completely gone, but each time I experienced it, it actually got a little bit better. Okay, and it was definitely different than it would have been in the past, where I would have gone into a panic attack or. Something along those lines. Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. If you are listening to this, you are probably like me and you love sex. And you also know that fantastic sex takes more than just a boner. But if that's all that's missing in your connection with your partner, check out BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. You know, that's my favorite. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office, no dealing with the awkwardness that exists because physicians are not often given great guidance about how to talk about sensitive personal things like boner softness, plus no waiting in line at the pharmacy. 
Bluetooth tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. With Blue Chew, penis owners everywhere are excited to see the postman because when your package has arrived, your package has arrived. And you know I love a good package. And I have to say, am I allowed to say this? It was very hot when I had a partner who I already had a good, trusting, open relationship. He'd been working on his anxiety, cutting down on screens, meditating, he quit smoking, he started exercising regular, cutting out processed foods, all of that stuff. He was just of a certain age, and I'll just say... The night that he told me he was making his package arrive, it was a very super hot extra layer of turn-on for me personally. So if it's for you, this is a super convenient resource. Blue Chew wants to help you have better sex. Discover your options at bluechew.com, chew it, and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER at checkout. You just pay $5 for shipping. That's bluechew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. So in your work with people, these are a lot of really giant pieces. Yes. <laughs> how do you start? <laughs> like, like, where do you actually begin? And I, I yeah. imagine there's some level of meeting people where they currently are. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's a good question because I start simply. We start really simply. I mean, a lot of what I've broken down with people is like I have a framework I work with people where we do eight sessions to start in that eight sessions we there's a progression mm -hmm. so we start off really simple we start off working with how to like learn ways to relieve tension from your body because mm -hmm. that's a big part like how do you reestablish relaxation in your system how to work with your mind um, then we go into like how do we work with your emotions and yeah. so we're really cultivating specific things like one of them is emotional intelligence you know, like all these different awarenesses about triggers and reactivity and how to work with that stuff. Yeah. And then we're also working erotic intelligence. We start to learn like how the sexual energy, how to spark it in your body on purpose. Like what? <laughs> well, specific practices, you know, it's really yeah. all of its movement, breath, mm -hmm. sound. I work with, you know, the the pubic coccygeus muscles mm -hmm. and like, and I'm, all this is like you're, I'm teaching you practices where you're doing mm -hmm. this with your mm -hmm. own body. Yeah. I always, I'm clear to people. I'm like, I, I don't touch you unless you want me to. Right. And all this is with clothes oh, on. Do you get, do you get strange inquiries? About... Not so much anymore. Okay. I try to be very clear, okay. like both in my website and when I do consults with yeah. people, like this is not, you know, I, cause there are some people that provide what they call dakini services or, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. sexual um, therapy in that right. way. Right. But yeah, for me, it's mostly like teaching you my desire is to teach people how to have a practice that's going to put them in contact with their sexual energy in a holistic way on a regular basis yeah. and learn how to be fed by it and learn how to have it empower them. So yeah, so it's, it's kind of a stepwise progression through all these different pieces. And then we also work in relational pieces. We get mm -hmm. to like working the pieces about boundaries and having needs conversations yeah. and, you know, all these different things. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Have you ever worked with a couple individually, but in parallel, like where they want to come do individual sessions with you? I, that's how I feel like oh, people should do it. At the same time? I know. It should, well, you know what I have done in couple sessions? Mm -hmm. I always take a portion of the session to give them practices to do with their own bodies. That's great. First. Yeah. yeah. So we always make sure that they're getting into their bodies first yeah. and they're connecting with themselves and we're bringing awareness to certain things that I see happening in each of their own bodies. And then we'll do partner work mm -hmm. and we'll work with how from that more relaxed open space 
they can connect with each other in different ways. So on a broader level, that's not giving away anyone's personal details. Yeah. Can you speak to some of what you've observed in the people you've worked with? Yeah, totally. Let's see. I mean, it kind of varies the gamut. So it's often women who find me because they tend to be the leaders in relationship or the feminine partner. <laughs> and a lot of times it varies. Like it's, the, I would say the, the consistent through line is that everyone wants deeper intimacy. So they're looking for that feeling of being connected with another person, that feeling of being comfortable in their own bodies, of being able to vocalize, well, first to understand what it is that they want and need, because a lot of yes. people have a hard time just even knowing. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I still know. figuring I st- some stuff out. I still do too, often. Like, just like, wait, what do I need? Yeah. So that's a, that's a, that's a whole skill set to develop, that listening of, like, what is needed in this moment, mm-hmm. and then how to ask for it, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's a lot of the baseline of what people are looking for. But then even beyond that, sometimes there are traumas in our past that people are looking to heal, whether that's from, you know, violent relationships or sexual violations of different kinds. And sometimes it's it's about loneliness, like people who've had patterns of not being able to stay in a relationship or to know that basically they haven't been able to have a deeply connected relationship but they want one yeah you know yeah and they're ready to get to the heart of what's underneath that and then when I work with couples it's it's a lot to do with in particular it's usually the the feminine partner feeling either shut down or abandoned in some way Mm -hmm. so either she's not interested in being sexual anymore she you know wants to be but like feels turned off or is not getting turned on by her partner. And what I find a lot is that it's actually people are either harboring huge amounts of tension from emotional things that they're repressing or it's about like how busy life has been and like they're just not prioritizing ways to connect. Yeah. You know? I hear that from so many people who write to me. Yeah. 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 And I feel it's a lot more acute, like as I've been working now for a longer period of time, I find it's getting louder with all of the digital disconnect that's going on. Totally. So like the way people don't have boundaries around technology in their relationships, but also just like their work, like the pure demand on what it takes to show up for your job and to stay connected to like what's happening in the world and still show up for your relationship. And if you have kids on top of that, it's just a lot for most humans to navigate. I was gonna say, I struggle as a single person. All I have to do is take care of myself and my cat. Yeah. And I'm struggling. Yeah, exactly. And I can only imagine what it's like to have a family and a spouse and yeah. yeah. So you're constantly navigating your own emotional terrain you know, those of all the people you share a space yeah. with and what's happening in the world. And you're supposed to keep up. And you you're supposed to keep up. You don't have an excuse not yeah. to. So mostly, like, you know, a lot of people are just coming to me, I would say, in a state of some kind of, like, freeze or shutdown. Mm-hmm. Wow. And they don't, they wouldn't name it that. No. You know, they, they name it all kinds of other things. But that's actually what we're healing is is the causes of that freeze or shutdown. What is the effect of doing this work, if any, on your own sex life? Yeah. (laughs) Like, 
um, like if you're coming on your own and you want to just improve your own sex life? No, you personally. Oh, like, me. like it's a lot of energy. Do oh, you have boundaries yeah. set? I mean, I imagine you have boundaries set up, yeah. but not to project all over you. Yeah. Like, like that's a lot to hold and yeah. to, to be, what's the word? Shepherding, ushering. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a good question. I've had to learn. I, I have had to refine my boundaries over the years, yeah. you know, for sure. Like I have standard boundaries I set up, you know, I, which I go over, you know, students when we first start working together about what they can expect from me and, you know, how I need them to show up and those kinds of things. So we have clear agreements. Mm -hmm. But then for myself and my own personal practice, I've had to learn how to like regularly empty myself of other people's stuff, mm -hmm. you know, whether that's like taking baths or like going to the Korean spa for a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a good one, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's very effective, that blend of heat and water. I mean, yes, yeah. I feel you. Yeah. So, you know, I actually have to take my own advice a lot and I, struck, I try to structure my schedule to have transition time between things, yes. to have buffer Beautiful. days, you know, like all these different things of like I'm very passionate about self-care yeah <laughs> and so that's been a big thing in terms of just keeping my own self in good shape mm -hmm. to show up for the work to shift into the realm of specifics yeah can you tell me what you love about sex yeah like on a purely physical level and it could be anything I can yeah. always ask more oh my questions guys this is like I could go on forever yeah like, there's so much to love about sex <laughs> You know, like I think, okay, I could talk about it probably from a different, a lot, like a couple of different layers. Mm -hmm. So there's firstly just the energetic layer, you know, because I think, who is it? Jaya of World Sex Education. She has like a whole like yeah. sexual um, where you can do your blueprint yeah, of yeah, different yeah, yeah, yeah. types. Yeah. So, so I'm an energetic. <laughs> okay. And, and so for me, a lot of the sex I like to have starts with the energy connection. Mm. You know, like, is there a connection? Like I can't have. I've, I have had, but I have not enjoyed sex with people that I don't feel a connection with. It's not as good. Not as good. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but just to acknowledge that there is a way to have sex that way. I just don't like it for myself personally. Can you articulate what it feels like to be connected? I yeah. always like to ask questions yeah. that are, because I feel like this challenge of articulating a totally. deep feeling is one of the hardest things. And I think it's really good because I think it's different for each person yeah, in some way. Exactly. Um, for me, it is, it is, it boils down to one being seen, mm -hmm. like getting that someone's actually like seeing me, like not my body as an object, not like their desires projected onto me, yeah. you know, but there's something in the way that they're looking at my eyes where I really feel like they're taking me in. Or the way that they're touching my body where I can feel their presence with me. Mm -hmm. um, so that part is really a big part of what makes me feel connected. And then um, there's that piece of like rhythm and resonance. So I feel like people have, there's so many different types of people, you know, and, and finding that match of the person that's like, at that same tempo as you yes. is so important because yes. I've had different tempos, you know, and it's always a little harder to like get on the same page together. Mm -hmm. And so like somebody like for me, I like to move slow. Mm -hmm. Like I, I like to linger. I like a full day of sex, you know, like, <laughs> yes. and like if the first hour of that can be them just teasing me, yes. I will go fucking crazy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah all of that. I like play, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I like, teasing and tantalizing touch yeah. like all kinds of touch 
And that, like being creative, like having that variety of using your voice. Like I'm a big one about like working all the senses, yes. you know, like drink me in visually and give me something interesting to look at and like say my name, like whisper it to my mm. whole body, like, you know, run your fingertips down my body and like finger light strokes and then like squeeze me really hard, you yes. know, just like all of that variety of awakening the senses I love and the creativity and that baseline has to be there for me of, you know, love, really, at least some kind of mutual respect at the very yes. least. <laughs> I, I always say I pretty much love the people I sleep with. And that's not yeah. to say that I'm in deep relationship. I yeah. actually mostly have casual relationships, yeah. but they are connected. Yes, you know? exactly. There, there's a, it's like how you love your friends. Exactly. Because also I don't want to fuck somebody that I don't care about. Right, exactly. Like, that I hate. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, thanks. yeah. I mean, because I, I really do enjoy, you know, the physical sensations that can arise yeah. from titillating and touching all these different parts. But without that baseline of the love there, it's like there's a part of me that won't open mm -hmm. and there's a part, there's a depth I can't really touch. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot lately about the word transcendence and what it feels yeah. like because sex is, for me, that's my religion. Like that is where I have experienced God, yes. what I conceive of as God, like the yeah. ultimate creative energy. Yes. And for me, it fuels all of my creative work. Yes. And so I literally believe that when we are living more creative lives, mm. I think it includes sex. Like I think there's a direct relationship between creativity and, I mean, it is, sex is creativity. I like, say like that you said. all the yeah, time. It yes. is. It's and creation. so like for me to just feel turned on in all of those ways yeah. and connected to a person, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And that's that's the heart of it for me. It's 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 just that. It's like once you know sex can be a transcendent experience, it's hard to like sign up for anything else. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. It's like when you know that's possible. Do you remember your first transcendent sexual experience? Oh my goodness. You know? It's funny cuz I think I've had them grow. Yeah, over I was going to say I don't know if I could yeah. pinpoint one, but I could give you like yeah. types of Zones yeah, exactly. Like I think like in my teenage years, it had a particular flavor. Like, because yeah. it would be that. I would be like with someone that I really loved. Ooh, let's and... ask some, can I ask yeah. some details? Yeah. So going back to teenage years. Yeah. Okay. So you were a hot tail yes. as a child. <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> I would love to hear just the brief timeline of like when you started touching yourself, when yeah. you started exploring with partners and when you had your first partner yeah. sex, however you define it. Of course. Yeah. So. <laughs> and then relate that to the transcendent. The transcendent. So, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's funny because I remember when I made that leap in adolescence, like middle school, probably around the age of like 13 to engaging sexually in a way that I knew it was like sexual, like I knew mm -hmm. it was happening. And very early on, I remember having experiences that were overwhelming, mm -hmm. like they were too much too fast for me. And at that time, I didn't know how to say no. With partners? Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, you know, like I remember finding all these ways to like try to wiggle out of a connection or mm -hmm. without saying no, yeah. and, you know, different kinds of things along those ways. And I remember distinctly like a push-pull between really liking some of the sensations but also feeling like overwhelmed and scared yes. of what I was getting into and not being able to stop it. Mm -hmm. So there was that and, and I think – there was a turning point where there was a break. Like I had like probably two or three encounters like that. And then I took a little break and I was self-exploring. And I remember thinking to myself, it was around the time I grew up in New York. So a lot of, there was a lot of like 
expedited sexual experiences, you know, people doing things very early on. And so by the time I was 13, two of my best friends had already had sex. Mm. And I knew I wasn't ready, but I was like, well, I'm going to get ready. I was like most scared of was it hurting yeah and I had heard about the whole like stretching and all this so I'm like I'm gonna stretch myself (laughs) (laughs) you know makes sense yeah so I was like I don't want anyone else to do it for me I want to be prepared so I remember actually like playing with you know starting with my fingers and my goal was to work my way up to a cucumber (laughs) I don't think I ever got it in past like the tip but Also, some cucumbers are really big. Some cucumbers are really big. Yeah, these were. So, um, but that, I, I, you know, it was through that process of self-exploration that I started to learn my body and, like, what felt good and how I like to be touched. Do you feel comfortable sharing how you like to be touched, like, specifically? Uh, Yeah, sure. Like, mm, I like a lot of petting. Mm -hmm. So I realized, like, I really liked to pet along my vulva and, Mm. like, that... I'm, I have a very sensitive clitoris. Me too. So yeah. I, I don't like a whole lot of direct stimulation there. But I like, cannot handle yeah, very much. Yeah. yeah. So all and when you say petting, indirect. do you mean like light touches or is it like more of a pressured sort Yeah. Of... So it's like either little light touches mm-hmm. or like if you can like squeeze it between oh, the vulva or between that's, different that's tissues. That's how I actually started masturbating. Yeah. Like my first, my first masturbations were like this. Oh, all, lips. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So yeah, I like, you know, all those like indirect forms of mm-hmm. touch and mm-hmm. manipulation with the clitoris. And then I also really liked putting my fingers inside. Mm-hmm. And I don't think back then I even knew that the clitoris was like this separate pleasure yeah. organ. I just knew that like, you know, even with my fingers inside, I was still getting it. Yeah. And so like there was, but there was, I liked that feeling being able to feel the tissues inside of yeah. my vagina. And uh-huh. so, you know, I was just kind of amazed that like I could get wet and like these different things like just fascinated mm-hmm. me then, mm-hmm. you know. And so, yeah, that for me was like, I didn't know until much later how much that gave me, being able to have exploration like that and become friends, you know, with my pleasure parts. Yes. Yeah, you know. Yes. Lovers, we are going to take a quick pause for a word from our sponsor. And they have given me notes to do a sultry female voice. So I'm very excited and I'm going to do my best. Did you know? The Flora app is a safe place to open up, embrace your desires, and find like-minded people. This is the story of one couple who found the threesome of their dreams, discovered a new level of shared passion, and stepped into a whole other realm of possibilities, all thanks to Flora. As life's routines settled in, Robert and Lucy found themselves yearning to explore uncharted territories, so they downloaded Flora and embarked upon a thrilling journey of sensual experimentation learning more about each other's desires in the process. Open-minded and adventurous, Robert and Lucy dreamt of adding a new dimension to their intimacy, sharing the touch of another woman, being witnessed and connecting in a way that transcends the ordinary. In Fleur's diverse and accepting community, Lucy connected with Emily, a babe craving the same experiences. So they invited Robert to the conversation. The chemistry built and anticipation heightened as they exchanged messages until finally their agreed-upon date night arrived. A gorgeous hotel was the setting for their evening of pleasure, passion, and connection. A shared exploration that fulfilled each party's desires. Floor app celebrates the beauty of open-minded connections. It's a platform where fantasies come to life and desires are embraced without judgment. 
For couples seeking adventure with others or individuals keen on exploring, Floor invites us all to a world where every desire is a possibility waiting to unfold. Download Floor now, express your desires freely, and find like-minded people today. And so I think that actually helped me attract like my first like real like lover it was an Italian guy. I had just mm. had the biggest crush on him. We were best friends and you know, we had an on again, off again thing going. <laughs> but he just was so tender in the way that he would, you know, he would ask me, he's like, Does this feel good? And amazing. You know, such a simple question. Such a simple that question. I did not get asked for way too long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't, still don't as an adult. And I'm just like, but, you know, especially then when there's so much insecurity as a teenager. Yes. Also, and it's and so much more useful than what do you like? Yeah. Like, does this feel good? Does so feel much yeah. more useful because than just this big, scary question where I'm supposed to have all the answers and exactly. it's my fault if I don't. Exactly. And yeah. it, it, it's like that creativity. Yeah. Plus, I feel like there's that whole thing where, you know, people are afraid to get it wrong. Like, oh, yes. You know, like yes. I know there's a whole pressure to On like, both perform. Sides. Exactly. I'm afraid yeah. to make you feel wrong. Right. But you are getting it wrong. Exactly. And I don't know how to talk about it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 All that stuff. Yeah. So I loved because we had such a casual rapport with each other. Like we had, it was like we could say anything, yeah. you know. And <sighs> Beautiful. Yeah. There was just that that like kind of back and forth and with each other. And you were a teenager at this point? Yeah. Okay. And so he's the one I decided to lose my virginity mm -hmm. to. And I don't even like using that term. I, yeah. I decided to have for the first time. Your sexual like debut. Nice. Your partnered I, sexual I like that. debut. My partnered sexual debut. I read that debut. on an Instagram somewhere. I, I love I that. Love it. Yes. We we had this whole pact where we we're like, okay, if we if neither one of us had had sex before we you know, by the time we were turning 16, mm -hmm. then we would be each other's first. Mm -hmm. And so we were approaching that window and this opportunity, you know, arrived for us to to do this at a party. <laughs> And so we did. And, and it was really sweet. He was, yeah. like, so sweet about it in so many ways. The rest of the night ended up being a bit of a shit show because of other things that happened with, you know, people that were there and the mm -hmm. sexual violation that happened on the heels of that, which, yeah, which was really confusing for a long time to have both in the same night. Like, oh, a really yeah. sweet, like, you know, first experience of intercourse and then a sexual violation following it. Wow. But, like to me that was kind of like what sex was it was this wild world of like sweet pleasures and um connection and tenderness with like danger and like Holy things going shit. wrong at the drop of a dime and and I kept having experiences not to that extreme but you know with sexuality where it was that it was kind of like a crapshoot about you know whether this was going to be a, a, a situation that felt good or a situation that kind of turned, yeah. you know, and it, it was, it's, it can be so subtle the way that it can turn. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, not being able to tell someone you don't like the way that feels, yeah. you know, and then you're just kind of suffering through it until it's over or, you know. Been there. Yeah, exactly. You know. Also and, have been there and didn't realize I was suffering until later. Right. Like, because I'm like, is it supposed to feel like this? Okay. Yeah. Am I doing something wrong? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And it's, it's, I think it's that so much of it is not spoken about mm -hmm. or explored and we're just like, like, I didn't know how to ask myself those questions, no. you know, or how to even inquire about what was happening. Nobody talked about it. Nobody talked Not about it. Not covered in sex ed. Yeah, exactly. And that's the part that was so wild to me is that, like, going through my sexual awakening was that, you know, I felt like I was just kind of figuring it out on my own. Yep. 
And there was all this, you know, my parents' orientation to it was just like, don't have sex. (laughs) I think like my mom, I was 16. I was on to my second boyfriend slash second sexual partner. And, you know, like he came into my room a few times while they were home. And so my mom got to be in her bonnet about us being sexually active. And so her conversation with me was kind of like, I know you're not dumb enough to be sexually active. Oh, Whoa. I was like, that doesn't even leave me an opening to tell you that I am, (laughs) you know? So, but I I mean, now I recognize it was her own discomfort and just not knowing how to have that conversation with me. Mm -hmm. But that was pretty much, you know, it it was like I I was the one to put myself on birth control in high school, you know, um, when I was sexually active, like How did you do that? I looked up a Planned Parenthood. Okay. Yay for Planned Parenthood. Yay Planned Parenthood. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and I, you know, because I, I knew I didn't want to get pregnant mm-hmm. and he was not good at putting on a condom. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I put myself on birth control and then told my mom like a year later or something like that. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I think a lot of what I hear and what I experienced personally is this like sorting things out, you know, sexually. So even getting back to the transcendent piece, yeah. Oh, I hadn't forgotten. Yeah. (laughs) To the transcendent piece, I feel like even in that first relationship, there were moments. It was, interestingly enough, I would have these transcendent moments with him after a low moment. So after that moment where we actually had sex for the first time and that violation occurred, we went through a whole thing where he was upset because he had asked me to go home with him that night Mm -hmm. from the party to you know, to take care of me. And I didn't let him because I told my parents I was going to be staying at the house and I didn't want to, you know, break my word. Um, Can I pause and interrupt to ask, was the sexual violation from him or from another person? It was from another person. Okay, I just feel like contextually important. Yes, thank you. Yes, absolutely. Very important. Yeah, it was from another person. And I had decided to spend the night at that place, had passed out and woke up to something happening. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Okay. And so when it was discovered in the morning, like word got out with the rest of the people that were at home and my male friends who were being stupid teenage boys, you know, blamed it on me. They, I got slut shamed. And then the friend of mine who was, you know, my first encounter and who I loved was upset. He was upset that I hadn't gone home with him. Mm. He was upset that this had happened. Like, oh, that's, it was heavy that's stuff. so many layers of heavy it was very heavy stuff, and um, and so I was really uh, depressed for for a moment. He came around and like like rose to the occasion and really like apologized and you know asked me more questions and like helped me talk through some things you know at a time where I didn't really have anybody to to talk right. to about all of it, and so it kind of like rebonded us and connected us, and then we had sex again, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was from that place though of like having touched such deep pain and then being held in it and really loved there and then opening to that person that then I had that like, you know, euphoric feeling from our connection after that. So that was like an initial experience of that. But then like as time went on, I think it would come from like there was definitely a few other instances and it always would come from, for one reason or another, my body being able to build up enough charge. So whether that was like the day-long sex, you know, yeah. where there's just like a lot of pleasure that builds and builds and builds yes. that charge in the body. Yes. Or if I was like, had been smoking weed and was like extra sensitive. Totally. And like, 
<laughs> you know, it was like in those pockets, I would notice like so much energy would build in my body. It would tip into these spaces of feeling. It sounds trite to say like I was floating, but it's like where literally I was elevated above everything, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and there was this feeling of consistent pleasure and contentment that just like permeated every cell in my body that would last for hours. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> So that was like my first taste of it. Of course, I had no context for what was happening. And then it wasn't until Tantra that I discovered how to actually create that for myself, you know, and how to create that like without drugs or without another person. Yeah. Yeah. And what got a better understanding about what was going on there. So just to be clear, you are capable of creating that for yourself. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. (laughs) I'm not. Yeah. I don't know anything about it. I stumbled into... Like, like you said, I feel like I've had layers of my understandings based on whatever I was able to have the capacity to feel at the yeah, time yeah. of that transcendence. And I feel like the, the height of it was a couple of years ago, I, I was in a BDSM relationship with my former master mm-hmm. and it was brand new to me. You know, like I was, I'm still unpacking all of it and yeah. still figuring out like, whoa, like what is happening? And so it's like, that's where I had some of my most intense experiences. So even yeah. just hearing you talk about creating that for yourself, I'm like, wait, you mean nobody else will beat me into ecstasy? What? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was going to say. It's like, you totally can do it. You just don't know the, like, yeah. how to. Yeah. Well, exactly. And, and it's very different. I mean, I would say because like from what I've experienced of BDSM and also, you know, like it's similar to what I was talking about before, when we hit these, you know, there's a tie between pain and pleasure. And so when we hit these like very electric spaces in our system, like around any kind of pain or discomfort, like it opens up the threshold for like huge amounts of pleasure. And that's why that's one of the things that people actually have to make peace with, right? It's just that like, you're gonna have to feel some pain if you wanna feel more pleasure, like you gotta let it in. (laughs) And like the, the way that I, learned how to create it from um, myself through Tantra is a very different flavor where it's, I don't even know, like it never, the pain never feels like pain, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like it when I reach those points and I go into like a full body orgasmic state or something like that, there might be pain that erupts through tears like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or sound or different things, but it never feels like pain. It just feels like release. Wow. And then it opens up into like those waves of just like, you know, pleasure and bliss and and they are different than kind of like the sharp charge that can come from other kinds of sexual pleasure it's more like this like being absorbed into a field of just like yumminess (laughs) i mean i want to be absorbed into a field of yumminess (laughs) i mean i totally do yeah (laughs) that's awesome yeah so yeah, it's been interesting to taste all the different, like lots of different yes. flavors of what it is to like transcend, I would say beyond just the normal, you know, biophysical pleasure or orgasmic type experience into what it is when the energy opens up wider into those other places. What has it been like? Pre- okay. If I'm remembering your timeline correctly, yeah, you began this work when you were with the partner that you eventually ended the relationship with after eight years. Totally, yeah. And you said six years in was kind of when you started? Yeah, I think it was like five, six. Okay. Mm -hmm. How does doing this work affect partnered sex for you? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, in a funny way, I've always felt a little like outside the norm. (laughs) I mean, it sounds like you have a lot of interesting pieces, but yeah. Yeah. 
So like there's been a part of me that's always felt like I don't quite belong. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I would say that it's taken me even further out into that spectrum of like, it's a lot harder, I imagine. I mean, I I dated a little bit in between, like Mm -hmm. after that relationship. And then, you know, with my husband now, we broke up twice before we like moved towards marriage. And I dated a little bit in between there. And every time I was with other people, it kind of reminded me how particular I am now. Right. I mean, well, that's what I'm wondering about. I'm like, who can kind of keep up with, not keep up with, I don't like yeah. that, but like who can match you, who can yeah, hang with you? Exactly. Like who can hang with you sexually exactly. when you're like opened up in this way? Yeah. I mean, so what's interesting is I find the baseline that I need that makes me open to someone is some kind of reverence for woman. Mm. So Ooh, I love yeah. it. Oh, so yeah. Just, can you say that again? <laughs> yes. Reverence for woman. Reverence for woman. <laughs> yeah. I love that. So when someone shows up with that, like regardless of what they know or don't yes. know, like it just creates a baseline where I'm like, okay, we can talk. Yeah. You know, we can explore here. <laughs> because I know automatically there's some things that I have no tolerance for that won't be there. Yes. You know, like misogyny and like, yes. Yes. you know, just like yes. objectifications and things like that. So. Yeah, that reverence is a good baseline. And then the second part I look for is a person's touch, you know? So that goes a long way if someone's got a great touch. Like as long as they have like enough sensitivity in their hands to kind of like respond to the things that are happening in my body. Yes, because it's not just about touch or how they touch. It's about, it's a conversation. Exactly. a physical conversation. And that's when I'm like, oh, you're not here with me. You're somewhere else. Yes. You're a robot. Yes. You know, you're a human robot. Yeah, exactly. So that ability to have some presence. um, and, and And presence in their touch. And on top of that, like, yeah, the ability to make eye contact is a big one. And it's hard for a lot of people. Like, but if, you know... If I'm with someone who's trying to be intimate with me and they can't, yeah. you know, maintain eye contact, they can't actually be present in their eyes with me, I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually gotten told that I make too much eye contact. Oh, no, so it's I've lovely. Had to learn, I mean, I've had to learn blinking. and then, But when I'm really, like, listening, yeah. I, like, look at people and it yeah. freaks people. And then also sometimes I use my photographer eyes because I'm just taking in, like, yeah. light and shape. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I, I do, too. Because I'm yeah. also like, hi, I see you in yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, which is so great. I mean – I, I really feel like it goes a long way to creating safety, mm-hmm. you know, to be like, oh, you're, you're seeing, so you're going to see if something changes in me that's yeah. not okay. And, you know, yeah. I also, okay, I don't know if this is appropriate to talk about on a sex podcast. Children. <laughs> yeah. Make eye contact with me. Yes. You know, and I think that is yeah. when the babies always stare at me, but yes. I think it's because I look at them too. Yes. And, so, and it, there's not the filter of. Yes. Well, it's funny it, because I tell people all the time, I do bring children into talking about sex because it's with us from the time we're born. Yes. Our sexuality. Yes. The more that I talk to people too, the more I'm like, oh, two, three, four, yes. not unusual. That's right. It's a, it's it's there from the moment we're born. Yeah. Breastfeeding, like all these different yeah. things are igniting pleasure and oxytocin, all that stuff. And we, it's adults that, that turn it into something that's not okay for kids. Yes. Yeah. Oh, beautifully said. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, we need to check ours out. Totally. <laughs> and you're right. I think children, I mean, part of what I'm always doing with the work that I'm doing is actually trying to help people return to the innocence mm-hmm. in their sexuality and the innocence that they had with their sexuality as children. Yeah. Because there's a purity there. Yeah. And the, that eye contact piece, there's a presence there that hasn't been covered over by the heartbreak of the world yet. 
Yeah. And that is so painful. Yeah. Because that's ultimately, I find, what shuts people down. Like, I used to take it personally if someone couldn't be present with me, you know, or like <laughs> wasn't listening. Or, right. And, you know, as I've grown, learned, and just educated myself more, I'm like, I realize that just a good deal of the population is walking around traumatized. Yes. Heartbroken. Yes. Unable to connect with themselves, much less another person. We're so lonely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, those pieces. And which is why, yeah, back to the original point, it does make it harder sometimes to find, yeah. you know. What about in the in-between years, between your husband and those early experiences? Mm -hmm. So you had that eight-year relationship. That's yeah. big. Yes. Can you give us like just a quick arc of what your sex life was like there? Or was it? Yeah. Well, it's like even, I, I'm a serial monogamist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I've had like, you know, dating and, and short relationships in between much longer ones. And so... You know, after high school, I had my first long one, which was like two years, mm -hmm. which straddled high school to my first year of college mm -hmm. with someone who was super sweet, like just, you know, the kind of person like he would make me collages and mixtapes. Oh, my and, gosh. <laughs> yeah, Amazing. Just, like, <laughs> just really, really sweet in a lot of ways. And he built up my self-esteem, actually. Mm. Like he was one of the first people who really made me feel like I'm worthy of, you know, being loved yeah. in that way. And I'll always credit him for that. And then there was a bunch of other dating experiences in between. And then I stumbled into my four-year relationship mm -hmm. in college. And that lasted college through my first two years out of college. Mm -hmm. And that one was all based on chemistry. Like sexual chemistry? Oh, yeah. <gasps> mm. I mean, that sounds like a great college relationship. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, and it taught me a lot about how, and because I see this over and over again with the people, the couples that I work with, is that chemistry often comes with conflict. <laughs> Mm, more can you conflict. say more about that? Yeah. So people, I find, often want both chemistry and connection like mm -hmm. and compatibility. Yeah. And typically you're going to get like more of one or the other. Having them both at the same time is, is, is possible, but there's going to be one that's just like the one you do best right. or you do most easily together. And so when there is chemistry like I had in that relationship – it's usually due to difference. Like chemistry comes from different things yeah. coming together and creating this tension. Yeah. Right? And so that tension is great when there's just like, you know, sexual play. Yeah. But for living life together. Not it, so much. Not so much. So we fought a lot and he fought in a way I didn't like to fight, you know, with like slamming doors and name calling mm. and <laughs> all that stuff that eventually I was like, I, in that relationship, I actually like lost myself. And it was after leaving that relationship, I was like, I will never, like, give myself away to a person like that again. Yeah. Yeah. But it was like, the sex was so good. <laughs> Did you guys, were you mostly, like, in the bedroom sex? Did you go out and explore? Like, what made it yeah, good? Yeah, all of it. Was it. Were you exploring new things, too? Or, like, what? Yeah, I mean, well, a big, I think a big part of it was just, like, he was one of those guys who was, like, really into being, like, a good lover. Mm -hmm. Like, he he had a large dick, and he knew it, and he wasn't shy about it. And um, he was really into his looks, and, you know, he was an actor, so he was very, like, you know, oh, like, no. big ego, big oh, no. charismatic, you know, all these things, charming. Yeah. yeah. So he would, you know, we played a lot. Like he would, he would. That's so fun. Yeah. He was just really good at like coming on to me and like mm -hmm. making me feel like shy and yeah. like yeah. just like really just setting the stage for making me feel really like sexual and desired. And yes. 
feeling desired is such a huge piece for me so big yeah Yeah. and not like pot after not and not like like the desire like what you said oh my god what's the beautiful phrase that you said oh yeah the reverence for women like desire plus reverence for women yes is the hottest thing because i'm like you do deserve me i i will be objectified by you in this moment because it's consensual and i want it and i love how you're looking at me exactly yeah Yeah, which is different from like the weird cat calls on the street or the people who unconsensually send me messages about them masturbating. Yes. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> don't do that. I don't know how many times I have to say, like, don't send me sexual messages unless I've asked for them. Right. Exactly. You know? And in that piece, like this idea that if you're talking about sex or you're being open or you're that like, I attractive am, That I'm a free whore. Yes, exactly. Like, then it's an invitation. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, so that piece of having the the combination of the reverence with that desire was just, it was really, it was good. Um, We played a lot and we had sex all over the place and, Mm. you know, we did fun things. Like, do you go out in the world? Yeah. Yeah, we we had some public sex. It's one of my favorites, actually, to have public sex. Yeah. Like where? Well, I love, like, parks. Okay. It sounds weird and no, it may be a little kinky, so but like many people, especially like, like playgrounds yeah. at night. <laughs> have you ever been like in a tunnel slide? I think about having yeah. sex in a tunnel slide. I have not done that, I but now I want to. <laughs> but also not the kind, you know how, I don't know if you remember when you were little sliding down tunnel slides, you can get the static yes. uh, shocks yes. a lot. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't want that. No, but like, no. Just in a good But just part. like, yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love those little, like, being tucked under a bridge or, like, you know, like, it's like you're kind of, like, hidden away, but you're out there. Yeah. And you can hear people off in the distance. And you make a call, but probably not. And, you know, all that. Totally. Yeah, so I love – that has always been a big turn-on for me is, like, sex in public. But, yeah, so that was a lot of fun. And then coming out of that, you know, I had a bunch of interesting sexual encounters, like, really just different people learning about, like, how people have sex in different ways and – you know, there was one guy who just like would make sounds like he was eating a really good meal. Like you know, when, mm. when he was into it, yeah, like <clears throat> just like. <clears throat> <laughs> okay, I'm laughing, but I want to say I also kind of love that. Like it was, I like, enjoyed it. Yeah, like I those things. Like I just think sex noises are so weird and funny, but yeah. not in a shamey way. No, like just like no. a, like a. Oh. No, it just would always catch me off guard. But I was so tickled though because yes. I knew he was enjoying himself. Yes. Well, I think that's the other thing is like I have become – I used to be silent because when I started touching mm. myself, it was like in secret, you know, yeah. like in my bedroom. Yeah. And then when I started making noise, initially it was for the benefit of the partner, not for myself. Mm. And so now when I hear weird noises come out of me, I'm just like, oh, my, I'm really into this, you know, and yes. I just love that. And so yeah. that's why I love mm. – Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of sound. Yeah. Yeah. So that that one he stands out for that reason. Love. But yeah, and then when my the eight year relationship I was in, that was more of like a I think it was like time in through that relationship I confronted a lot of stuff about old traumas that I mm. hadn't processed yet. And so he was the first person I had been with who was like he was very kind of into porn. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff that he wanted to do and how he liked to have sex was based on that, which was very different than the way I had kind of come into my sexuality and knew myself and liked having sex. So finding that ground with each other was very difficult to navigate. Yeah, it sounds like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that became the crux of a lot of exploration and healing for both of us. Like he had to learn how to become more sensitive and attuned to my needs. Yeah. I had to get a little bit more daring about the things that I was willing to to explore. 
And the hardest part was really just like getting him on board with like setting me up to be able to be in a place where I could and want to give the yes. things that he wanted to do. Yes. It's like, because on porn, you know, in porn, it doesn't work like that. The woman shows up and she just. You push play. Push play. She just, she she's goes. ready. She's ready she when does you that want thing. her. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, she's your toy. And, and my argument was always, that's not how most real women work. Those are professionals. Even I, I am, I consider myself a sex fiend and a sex lover. And even as a submissive, mm-hmm. I have to be like for my, my former master to come mm-hmm. play with me, like. We have to be right. Yes. Like, you can't just press play. No, exactly. Even though that's what I want. I want to get to that place. Yeah. But you have to do the groundwork. Yeah, you do. I mean, I feel like it's, it's you know, there's a whole preparation <laughs> yeah. that has yeah. to happen to create the openness, the readiness, mm. all of that. So. Do you feel comfy sharing just briefly any yeah. of the exploration? You mentioned BDSM at one point. Yeah. Have you played as a dumb? No, or? it's funny you say that because it's been in the back of my head about actually learning yeah. about it because it is the uncomfortable place for me. I'm more, okay. I'm more comfortable as a sub, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I have thought like if I could step into that dumb energy, it mm-hmm. would be a very good learning for me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to evolve those parts. Yeah, mostly it, it evolved just from my desire to explore certain kinks, mm-hmm. you know, and like I, I had a whole fantasy or have a whole fantasy about being tied and yes. different things around choking and stuff like that. So yeah, like that that exploration I've actually been able to find safety doing with my husband now. Great. Because he has he has the sensitivity and the listening and yeah, yeah all of those pieces. Oh. So yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now can you just tell us how long have you been with your husband? It's been six years. Okay. We've been married for two. Okay. Yeah. So in those longer partnerships, can mm. you say anything that you notice about partnered sex over long periods of oh, time? Oh, yeah. It's a good one because a lot of people, I, I feel that one a lot about like the sex getting boring Yeah. or infrequent yes. or like all those yeah, different things. Yeah, I hear things. that a lot from people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For good reason, I think, because, you know – as we're with somebody, there's like a buildup of the things we don't like mm-hmm. in our system. So there's like a natural buildup of certain aversions that happen. There's a buildup of resentments that don't get processed. And then there's also just the like, after a while, most people run out of things on their menu, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, because there's like, we do this and we do this and then we do this. And I know this always works. And, and I know you don't like that. So and you don't like do that. that. Exactly. And, yeah. and then, and then you get in this like rut of like, yeah. this is how we always have sex. And a lot of what creates desire and passion is novelty, you know, which is yeah. why then people go searching for new stuff. Yes. And you can you can bring some of that spark in initially by like switching things up, like having sex in a different place or trying a new toy or experimenting with a new type of sex. But I find it's short lived, you know. And yeah. so to really continue to have a juicy sex life over time, you have to traverse the the big hump for most people, which is the going deeper in intimacy with with each other. Yeah, it means really revealing parts of yourself that you haven't revealed or brought to the relationship yet. And that happens in spaces that aren't purely sexual. Yes. All right. So that tends to be the real hurdle, I think, that most people have to traverse in long-term partnership is just like 
if you don't want it to get stale, there, there's going to come a point where you have to push into some really uncomfortable places. Yeah. And on the other side is like a new aliveness. Part of the other thing that I think I didn't know when I was younger that is very clear now is that there's cycles in long-term partnerships. So you're going to go through deaths and births of that same mm -hmm. partnership with that person where the relationship will end even if you don't break up. Yeah. Something will end and it'll feel like you've broken up yeah. and you'll go through some kind of huge shift and then it gets reborn on the other side of that. So, yeah, like even if you're staying with the person, just be prepared to to, <laughs> to have many endings and beginnings. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. If you could go back in time and give younger you a piece of sexual advice. Yeah. What age would you pick? Or ages. It can be more than one. Mm. What would you say? That's so interesting. It's funny. The first thing that popped up was 13. Um, and... To my 13-year-old self, I think, well, first I would want her to know that she's really beautiful <laughs> and desirable and that there's uh, people out there that will know that and acknowledge that for her. And that I, the other part would be to, to tell her what I want to say is that it's okay to say no, but I think more clearly that, like, it's okay to be a no. Like, it's okay to not be okay with yeah. things, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that you don't have to compromise yourself to make other people feel good or to be happy. And that I would want to show her, actually, how to create that feeling of love that she's so hungry for without needing it to come from another person. I love that. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> How can people find you if they want to work with you? And can you yeah. give us a little bit of an overview of what you have coming up in March? Yes, absolutely. So I'm at spaceforlove.com. So that's space, F-O-R, love.com. And there's a couple of ways that you can work with me. One of them is I have a group program coming up in March. It's going to open up working with yoni eggs, specifically the jade egg. <laughs> can you briefly tell us about that? I forgot yes, to ask you. Yes, Because yes, I literally just last night was like, someone told me about it and put it on my radar. And I was like, I need to look into this. Yes. And here you are. Yes. I love yoni eggs, jade eggs as tools for sexual awakening. For me, it's been part of my ongoing sexual practice probably for the last six years or so, seven maybe. Like it's funny because it kind of became a bit of a fad in the mainstream where more people know about them. It's like, but a lot of people don't know more than just like I get one and I put it in and yeah. maybe I squeeze it, I walk around with it in. And, and I'm a big fan of like actually maybe not walking around with it in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but using it for very specific practice time with yourself. So I'm a really big fan of women cultivating something I call um, sovereign sexuality for themselves. You know, this, this ability to have a relationship with your sexuality that is yours and yours alone that can be shared as you choose, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And the jade egg is such a great tool because it's very different than working with a vibrator or another type of sex toy in that it, it doesn't vibrate or move or <laughs> do any of these, like, things but it provides like a solid surface yeah to have something to be in relationship with as you're practicing so it still gives you that peace and the stones themselves 
are said to, you know, bring in different qualities, properties of the stones into the vagina. So I work with jade because it's a harmonizing stone, mm -hmm. brings like a neutral harmony so that any traumas that have been stored there, any tensions, um, different things. What I find a lot with, with working with women is like there's all of this kind of unknown, sometimes known, aversion to really being in deep relationship with our vaginas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, whether that's because of messaging or like there's been health issues or just a variety of different things or, or traumas or violations, just yeah. a variety of different things that kind of can make it a little uncomfortable. And so most women, even if you have a self-pleasure practice, it'll be specifically focused on the clitoris mm -hmm. or on just like moving towards orgasm. Mm -hmm. But the JDAG practices are literally about awakening the, the tissues through the vagina for subtle sensation. So as we're talking about these transcendent states and a lot of those things, you know, full body orgasm, cervical orgasm, all the different types of orgasms you yeah. hear that are possible, a lot of them are dependent on cultivating a certain kind of sensitivity in your body. And it's a sensitivity that a lot of us don't have because of like real, you know, harsh frictional penetration. Yeah. So Jade Egg brings back that reverence I was talking about, it yeah. allows us to have a reverence for that part of our body and to reestablish like an honoring, a worshiping, uh, and a sensitivity for that So area. this is a group class. Yeah. So this is a group program. It's self-paced. It's all virtual. It's online. You can do it so from anywhere. you can anywhere. do it from anywhere. You oh, can do it great. from anywhere. Yeah. Great. Exactly. Okay. So there are videos that you receive along with emails and instructions and all this stuff. And during the launch, it opens up and it's going to open up at the end of March and it'll be ongoing registration. And then I'm going to do two live Q&A calls during that time awesome. for people. Yeah, just to get any questions answered as they're practicing. Um, awesome. But it's pretty thorough. This is going to be like the third time we're running it. And women have had some really good experiences from it. So that's amazing. Yeah. Say your website again for us. Yes, absolutely. So it's spaceforlove.com. Mm -hmm. And the other thing you'll find on there is I do offer like a little opening meditation mm -hmm. that you get if you sign up for my newsletter. And then if you're interested in private coaching, which is the other way I work with people, there's a little form you can fill out to sign up for free consultation. So amazing. Yeah. And Instagram handle? Yeah. So Instagram is either at we are space for love or at Kamali Mentor. So you can find me at both places. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing yeah. with us today. Thank you for having me. Lovely humans. Thank you for listening. If you appreciate the work that I put into this podcast, I would love it if you took the time to leave us five stars and a nice review wherever you get your podcast, especially Spotify. Since last year's troll attack on our ratings is still affecting our ability to be found via search. <laughs> I do love getting to know you and hearing your stories and meeting you lovely humans in real life. And remember, if you want to collaborate, apply to be a guest or leave us a single story voice memo via xstoriespodcast.com or sexstoriespodcast.com. Sex stories are always going to be my favorite, but now I also have question lists for love, friendship, dating, relationships, marriage, divorce, secrets, and so much more so that we can learn about connection through each other's experiences. I fucking love getting your emails and voice memos and receiving thoughtful noodle messages. It truly is hearing from you that fuels this work for me. And if you want to go deeper with me, get to know me, and support this podcast in meaningful, concrete ways, find me on Patreon, OnlyFans, FetLife, Venmo, Cash App, and all social media platforms at Wyo Lee, 
or work with me privately for photo and video shoots, relationship support, creative breakthrough sessions, and retreats. yole.com slash links is where you can find the list of all the ways to play with me, and the link is in the description below. Thank you for joining me to spread ripples of love, to co-create a world where taking care of each other is the norm. Thank you for spoiling and inspiring me with your stories and your support. Please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and remember to share stories in the name of lovely human connection.